Thank you, Pastor. I couldn't hear a word you said, but I'm Jill Briscoe. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's not true, whatever he said. <laughs> but thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Anytime I get a chance to uh, minister at Christmas, it's a special challenge and a special joy. Why was it a challenge, you might say? Well, we're too familiar with the story. And uh, I'm praying that as you sit there and listen to me, you'll just pray a little prayer. Freshen the familiar. Freshen the familiar. Because so often when we know a story so well, and this is one of them, uh, we tend to say, oh, yeah, you know, the angel and the shepherds, and um, we don't, we pretend not to do that. But I'm praying as you listen to me, you would just ask God through the message, Freshen this story for me. What is the one thing you brought me here today to hear? Um, when I'm preaching my favorite psalm, Psalm 23, which is familiar to all of us, I always remember what I teach in there, that the good shepherd has in every verse of Scripture fresh grass. And you might have thought, as a little sheep, you've grazed the passage down. Uh, you might have done, but he waits for the moment you are in in your life and what's happening there to freshen the familiar and grow for you a new little patch of green grass. God's grass grows overnight, folks, in this scripture. And so I would ask you to listen to what God wants to freshen for you that he wants to tell you from the things that I share. Um, I want to talk about being overwhelmed at Christmas. Joy, yes. Joy is Jesus, God in Galilee and cloth making my heart smile. I know that. Joy is Jesus. But I'm able, after all these years of ministry, to know that Christmas can be the worst time of the year for us. And more suicides happen at Christmas. More tragedies happen with people uh, in their relationships at Christmas. And that seems strange, very strange. But I want to talk about being overwhelmed at Christmas. I want to talk about being frightened at Christmas. I want to talk about something that might not yet have happened to you, but will. And you'll say, oh, thank you for that little bit of nourishment that reminded me that when my Christmas comes, and I'm overwhelmed, that when my Christmas, not if, not if, but when, you might remember something that God has given you for this. Um, I usually take the negative and come to the positive. Uh, opposites attract, so my husband and I, he takes the positive and mentions the negative. <laughs> you know, opposites attract, and then within six weeks, irritate. No, 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 no. But we've been married 60 years, and we've, we've done it all together and minister together. And uh, I'm just negative by nature, I think. And uh, how negative? Well, we were in mission, had a baby. Uh, we were at the gatehouse of the big castle where the mission was. And uh, so I was isolated, big path and a little tiny cottage. And I'm... 
an educator. I knew that my child should be making noises and little words by the time he was two, but he was just saying, mm, 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 I'm pointing. And it, it, it did register, and I thought, you know, this is really old for him not to be get little words. And then one day he said, two words, not one, just two. And I was so excited until I thought about the words he said. He said, oh, dear. <laughs> Where had he heard that, I wondered? <laughs> That's me. Mrs. Oh dear, okay, oh dear. Actually, I put him in the pram, uh, baby buggy. I don't like baby buggy, my baby isn't buggy. Pram, okay. Up to the castle where my uh, husband was in the office with three ladies, and I burst in and he said, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. So my husband looks up, being an ex-bank inspector and wants the details, and said, uh, what did he say? And I said, he said, oh dear and then ran out of the office. <laughs> so I'm overwhelmed daily. And if I hadn't dealt with being a negative personality, then uh, I wouldn't be here today. And I couldn't deal with it myself. It could have had something to do with the war. Uh, I'm very old. I'm 84, I think. I've lied about it so much I can't remember, but I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I do remember at 6 till 11, um, that was when we lived in Liverpool and bombed every night and we were in a little shelter underground. And uh, my dad had dug before he went off to the Air Force for four years. And uh, remember listening to the bombs every single night. They had to get the ships. Uh, we were on the coast and um, so we were bombed every night. They were trying to sink the ships to just block the harbor and stop us getting food. They were trying to starve us out. Six years of age, not churched. Um, fortunately, no separation of church and state because by law, we had to read the Bible through by the time I was 18, not applied, but read it through from Genesis to Revelation and have beautiful Anglican prayers said at prayers. It was a little strange because my headmistress would say things like, now I'm an atheist, and an atheist doesn't believe there's a God, but we're going to say prayers now. And at six years of age, I began to listen to her reading these beautiful Anglican prayers and saying the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, da-da-da-da-da, and think there's something wrong with that lady. It doesn't, it doesn't, that, was, that was my background. So I knew the Apostles' Creed, and one night, those of you that know my story, I just panicked, and we were listening. If you, if you can't see, and you can only hear the bomb come, trouble. It's more frightening when you can't see it, even if somehow. And you hear the whine, and then it blocks out. It's silent just before it hits. So five hours of that, night after night after night after night, and I lost it, and I thought, I've got to pray, but I didn't know who to pray to. And I thought of the prayer, the Apostles' Creed. And I prayed to God the Father, and I prayed to God the Son, and I prayed to God the Holy Ghost, we called him then. And my little mind stopped, and I thought, who's the Holy Ghost? A bomb dropped, and I prayed to the Holy Ghost. And I prayed to the Holy Catholic Church and the Communion of Saints. And, and then I started again, came back to the Holy Ghost, and I just lost it, and I just started to pray. Stop, stop the bombs just falling all over my, 
Mummy's sewing machine and my sister's doll. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And into the hole underground came the Holy Ghost. There was no other way my heart could stop and calm. It's called the peace that passes understanding, I discovered years later. And I thought, I misinterpreted it. I thought God had said, yes, well, wouldn't you? It's all right, little girl. It's all right, I've heard you. I'll stop the bombs. Your house won't get the bomb. And so I relaxed. My mom and sister would just cry all night and scream. And, and uh, I couldn't wait till dawn. And then dawn, the old clear would go. And it was just like these lights. The stars were still out. And my first thought was, oh, we have to paint our windows black in case the enemy sees, sees and, and drops a bomb. But God's left all the lights on in this house. And then I looked down at my house, and a bomb had not taken it. Two or three down, it had hit a house, and shrapnel had blackened, and a window was taken in, right down our house. And like C.S. Lewis, I looked up to heaven and in my little mind said, I do believe you're there, but I don't like you very much. Why'd you tease a little girl like me? Say yes and then, ha ha. And so I grew up absolutely conflicted with who's God and where's God. But every Christmas, every Christmas, when the carols would be sung and the scriptures by law must be spoken in every public school across the land, my mind began to go to all the carols and the great search began especially our little town of Bethlehem, which ends where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in, became my favorite carol. And so years later, still searching and looking, Christmas Eve service in my Cambridge college, our big sister, it's a girls' college then, would knock on the door with a candle. It was a surprise and I was just my first year there, and this was my big sister looking after me, and give me a candle. And uh, all those years ago, there was only one piece of nightwear you'd wear if you were English or British, a long white robe. And she would collect, they would collect all the, the freshmen and give the candle, and in that incredible building, 18th century building, down those fabulous places and then through the chapel with the stained glass windows, we would sing carols, we sang carols. And uh, when it came round, two hours, to little town of Bethlehem again and again, this, this thing where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And a great cry went up from this lost girl. And I didn't know what to say to God. I'd learned my lesson. I wouldn't ask him anything desperately seeking the Christ of Christmas. I just stopped singing and said, read me, read me, read me. And he did, of course, he had already. And my heart was saying, if only someone would tell me, if only someone would tell me in so-called Christian England. I can't remember. All the way back then, ever meeting a believer, I must have done. But nobody had told me who the baby in the manger was. 
And God heard me, and two weeks later, I was seriously ill with a high temp and all sorts of things, couldn't find out what was wrong, rushed into a hospital, and put next to the first Christian I think I'd ever met, a nurse who was sick herself in a ward of 30 women. And she told me. Thank you, Jenny. She told me. And she led me to the Lord thoroughly, totally, irrevocably through Revelation 3.20. Out of context, but it worked. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not Jesus knocking on the individual heart, let me in. It's Jesus knocking on a dead church, trying to liven it up. It didn't matter, it worked. I'd read already a quote of C.S. Lewis, who was at Oxford at that point, but walking towards his conversion. He was on the BBC and he'd throw things out. And at one point he'd, he'd thrown out a very famous quote of Lewis. There is a door opened in the pitiless walls of the world and one day we shall follow our great captain inside. And he was on the BBC making his conversion very interesting, even though he was uh, medieval history. That's what he was teaching. But he'd throw in, if you want to know why I'm, I, I'm if, if, if you want to know why I'm an atheist, then I'm going to tell you what the Church of Jesus Christ was doing in Germany just before the Reformation. Uh, who would be a Christian? Church at its lowest point at that. But then after a bit, he'd define it and say, can't be an atheist, I'd have to know all there was to know. Maybe in all the stuff I don't know, there's a God. So now I'm an agnostic, and then a bit later, I can't be an agnostic who says there might be a God, and he would define he was a deist who believed in a God, but he was unknowable. And then a bit later in his lectures, and England was listening, I never heard him on the radio, but people at Oxford and Cambridge and all over our country were beginning to write in questions. I mean, write in, envelope and stamp. <laughs> That's it. And uh, one of them had written, surely, Professor Lewis, now you are a Christian. You do not believe in heaven and hell. And a very famous Lewis quote came back. There is a door opened in the pitiless walls of the world. And one day we shall follow our great captain inside. So when Jenny got to this and Jesus was standing there, I said, I know about the door. She said, how do you know about the door? She'd heard my language. She'd seen my friends. And I said something about a door opened in the pitiless walls of the world and one day... God's front door. And then I said, Jenny, can you take me through the door to meet Jesus? And she said, yes, and she did. Listen to me. I'm 84, and it's all true. It's all true. It's all true in the fullness of time. He came. He came. He came. What if the manger had been empty and no angel in the sky had stopped to tell the shepherds that they really should pass by a dark and humble stable where God's glory shone around and the father's precious only son, a baby, could be found? If Joseph had been obstinate or Mary had said no, if the wise man hated traveling and didn't want to go, if the shepherds there in Bethlehem kept quiet about it all, would there be a Christmas story of a humble cattle stall? And if he who reigned in heaven, the king enthroned on high, had been too busy making worlds to leave and come and die. Or if all our pain and helplessness, our shame and our disgrace, had only triggered justice 
and no amazing grace. For all our pain and helplessness, our shame and our disgrace, had only triggered justice and no amazing grace. There would be no friend like Jesus to calm us in the strife, no saving free forgiveness, no second chance at life, no gentle Holy Spirit to change us from within, no overcoming power, no victory over sin. And there'd be no heaven waiting, no Savior's arms held wide to welcome his invited guest to come and step inside. There'd be no heavenly bridegroom, no glorious wedding feast, no church, no heavenly family from the greatest to the least. So come with me on tiptoe, and I'll take you to the place where Jesus, baby Jesus, lies with tears on his face, assuring us of gospel truth that in this tiny form, within the hay, on Christmas Day, redemptive love was born. It's all true. It's all true. I like the Christmas story because I'm negative. I'm fearful because everybody in the Christmas story was negative and fearful when they were told Jesus was coming. Mary, shepherds, the kings, certainly after they came to the stable and had to run for their lives after the fact. Uh, it was a very negative situation, but nowhere more negative than with Mary. Nowhere more negative with Mary. I mean, she's minding her own business. She's engaged to Joseph, and she's just going about her work. Was she at the well? We don't know quite where she was, actually. And here comes Gabriel, the angel of angels. I've come to ruin your life, he said. <laughs> Hail, you who are highly favored. You think you're going to get married and it's going to be all right? That's the plan. Joseph's not going to believe. At first. I don't think he said at first. What went through her head? She hadn't got to Joseph. And what he'd say... She hadn't thought of her family. Have you ever realized Mary's family is nowhere in Scripture? Have you ever seen that? Where were they? Why did she run to Elizabeth? What was happening? Had the rabbis all, all already said she could be stoned? Wow. All of that was ahead of her decision, of course, and she hadn't had time to even think about it. She was so overwhelmed with Gabriel, so frightened. The word is, and it is different. I was listening to the, um, I don't know which, which version, uh, but in good old King James, I like the good old King James because that's my era. <laughs> uh, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You'll be with child, give birth to a son uh, to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. He will reign. Uh, excuse me, said Mary, how will this be? I'm a virgin. I'm not married yet to Joseph. We haven't had our wedding. I mean, what would you have thought? 
He's talking about the baby that Joseph and I are going to have. I, I don't know. No, I'm not talking about that baby. I'm talking about the baby. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I'm talking about what the rabbis have taught you from Isaiah's book. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Da 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 da. That Jesus, that baby. And this little teenager. How? Yeah. How? And here's my text. When you're overwhelmed, remember you're overshadowed. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Overshadowed. That's how. Now, what did that mean? Nothing. But she did it frightened, guys. She did it scared. She did it petrified. She hadn't had a thought yet what it was going to mean when Joseph told her that he didn't believe her took Gabriel to convince Joseph she was telling the truth. But not before she'd excitedly gone to Joseph, and I don't know what she'd told him. Maybe she still thought it would be through the marriage and their baby. I don't know, but we do know his reaction. She could be stoned to death. You've got to save her somehow. Secretly, we need to get on with this, and maybe I'll get her out of the area Maybe that's why you never hear about her family. Maybe they turned her out too. I don't know. Maybe it went through her mind. Maybe it didn't. Terrified, the word is. Overwhelmed. The Holy Spirit came on her and overshadowed her. Remember when you're overwhelmed, you're overshadowed, will you? If that's the freshening the familiar, it's a good thing to take with you. It doesn't mean she was jumping with joy. It means she was frightened and she probably stayed frightened. Terrified, but she did it frightened. You know, the message to me once again at this Christmas is courage to say yes. Courage is fear that said its prayers, okay? Courage is fear that said its prayers. You just do it frightened, guys, if it's the right thing to do. All my life, that principle has been with me because, as I've shared, I'm a very, very, very uh, scared, fearful woman, negative. And I've done most of the things in my life frightened because they've been big things. They've been, what, God, you want me to? <laughs> You're kidding. There's no way. I remember in street work after my conversion back in Liverpool as a teacher before I ever went into mission or met Stuart. I was standing outside the floral hall in, where the Beatles had just... They were in my area where I was teaching. Nobody knew who they'd be. They were 17. Now, this is the thing that might be the thing you want to take away that's freshened your... <laughs> you will remember I said I didn't know the Beatles, but I'd been in the cabin, right? They were down from my school, and they, they hadn't been discovered yet. They'd just started, 17, 18, and their place was clean. It was the only place that I could find for my kids after school. It was gangland. I was in gangland. I had gang kids in my classroom, 13-year-olds. 
And I went, started to go and see what they did at night and why they were all on drugs and found out that every single place they could go in, it was just a pub or it was a drug house. And I used to say every, every day, kids, please don't go inside, name them, please. There's a place, I don't know what it is, uh, but they, it's the new beat music and there's some guys with guitars and I think you'd enjoy it. And I've been in there and it's clean, there's no drugs. Listen to me, kids, don't do it. Well, they ignored me and continued in their fashion until they found the Lord. And uh, so this, this was the situation. So before I met my husband in ministry, he was a bank inspector catching criminals in the bank. I was teaching them in the classroom. So we had a lot in common, <laughs> right, in our spare time. And that's how we met in the context of outreach work with kids. Uh, but I, I, remember, I remember being petrified going into those places. And as I learned to do it, I, I had to learn to street preach. I walked into the Salvation Army and said, your ladies, they're the only people I find out here. A young Roman Catholic uh, youth pastor from the only church down there and um, a Salvation Army lady. And I, I hear you preaching. I want to learn how to do it. Will you teach me? And she said, sure. And so that's who trained me to do street work. And uh, they... It, it was incredible. I used to say to them, when, when you go into the pubs and you, you, you talk them into having your team come in, um, how do you do that? And aren't you scared? And they said, of course. It'd be stupid not to be frightened, to be aware of danger. So I said, then how do you get all, oh, I love this. I love this. Yes, yes, yes. How do you get that courage? She said, that's not courage. Courage is doing it terrified if it's the right thing to do, Jill. Are you willing to do what God tells you to do? Be nice if he gives you enough. I said, I don't want enough, I want all. And that's the problem with America. If you can't get all, you don't do anything. All rested, all healthy, all whatever. No. You mean it's all right to do it terrified? Yeah. Well, if I'm paralyzed by fear, how am I going to do it paralyzed? She said, you won't be paralyzed by fear. God will give you enough. And that night after that talk, I faced a very particular difficult place to go in on my own. And uh, I prayed for courage, like I'd always done. And what I thought was courage never came. But then I heard the Lord say, Jill, for me, because of what I did for you, will you go in without the courage? Would you go in frightened because of those kids? Well, not if I'm paralyzed frightened. You won't be paralyzed frightened. You'll have enough. So I took Will by the hand, left my emotions outside, and I got myself into the place, and there was a big bouncer there, and he says, who are you from the social services? Or, I said, no, I'm a teacher in the area. I just want to, I know my kids are in here. I just wanted to see what they do after. And then I heard myself say, take me to the manager. I said, why do I want to go to the manager, God? <laughs> Seemed the thing to say. My heart never stopped beating that whole night, but I had enough. 
and I got it. I got it. I could do that. I could do it for Jesus, frightened, because it's the right thing to do. I could speak up in class or in government or in pubs or anywhere. If my heart was beating like this, he'd give me enough. He gives you enough. Christmas is coming. I had a message last year, and so are the relatives. <laughs> you have no idea how many people ask me to speak about the unbelievable things that are happening because of the brokenness of families from our church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A grandmother said, I've had an injunction taken against me not to see my own grandchildren this year by the new grandmother. My son's been divorced twice. And the new one says, now I'm, I'm, I'm the grandma. She's not seeing them. Now that's extreme, but not too extreme. For what I could tell you about this Christmas because of the brokenness of this family across this country. It's awful. Little girl on a rocking chair. Not Helen, it's not Helen, it's not Helen, not Helen. I was visiting somebody in our city. I said, what's she saying? She's saying it's not Helen. I said, what is that? what's that? She said, it's a new grandmother. I told her that grandma's chair around the table wouldn't have grandma in it. It's not Eleanor, it's Helen. And I said, don't call her Eleanor. She was about six. So she was practicing. Doesn't that break your heart? Breaks God's, breaks ours. And so, just do it. Do it. Now, you don't do it alone because of the overshadowing. What was that? The Holy Spirit. Those of us that have accepted Jesus in this generation by his Spirit, confessed that we're a sinner and we can't get to heaven any other way but his righteousness, etc., etc. Those of us who have said, Holy Spirit, come in my life, forgive my mess, my sin, and invade my soul. He said that. It's all true. He comes in. And the overshadowing comes, which gives you what Mary had. Enough! Do you think her heart ever stopped beating for a few weeks? Do you think she was overwhelmed when Joseph told her he didn't believe her? Or whatever happened with her parents? Wasn't till six months that God said, now, go to Elizabeth. <laughs> She'll encourage you. She'll be there for you. Dealing with fear at Christmas. It's funny what we're afraid of. I mean, we should be suitably afraid of the angels, in awe of the holiness of God. But then that should come down to us. But by his spirit, he's within me. And God isn't frightened. His spirit can never be frightened. Now, his spirit within us can be grieved, can be insulted, can be quenched. That's another story for another day, maybe tonight. I don't know. But he's there, and he's chosen never to leave us. He would like to. Some of you sitting there, he would like to leave you. You know why. But he's promised, no, I'm here to stay. You will feel my grief. You will feel my uh, antsiness. But I'm, no go I'm not going anywhere. I want the best for you. 
I want Jesus in you. I want others to know. All the people we've heard about. I served World Relief for 20 years. I went to the worst places to see what the churches here could do for the churches in the rest of the world. I went to the killing fields of Cambodia. I went to hell itself in parts of occupied country, things that are still going on today in the prisons. And everywhere I went, I found God provides enough, and he provides the overshadowing to enable to endure incredibly enough power, enough, enough, enough. So you've got to just do it frightened. Courage is fear that said its prayers. There's one incident in my life when uh, we were asked to go by Whitliffe to Loma Linda in South America. It had been surrounded by FARC guerrillas. And you know about the FARC, I'm sure. And uh, all the Whitliffe and other missionaries had been drawn into the break. They couldn't stay out in the forests and the countryside anymore as, as that movement began uh, trying to kill missionaries and stuff. And Loma Linda had the missionary school there. It had Whitliffe's base where they would come and translate the Bible. And it was huge. There were 800 kids in the school there, missionary kids not just from Whitliffe but from all over. And FARC guerrillas had come and surrounded it. They had no walls. They had no protection. Uh, the government there didn't mind. The, the, they hadn't dealt with the FARC guerrillas then. There was no help. And they invited Stuart and I. They said, we need to get in there. We can get in by small plane. And they've asked us just to come. And as they're sitting there and trying to figure out what's, what to do and what's going to happen, and um, we, we, we thought we'd just do a, a whole week of teaching and praise and whatnot, and we'll pray all night, and we'll do this all day. And um, I just froze on it, especially when I heard that um, it was rumored that head of Whitliffe and us, we might be um, kidnapped. And so Stuart said, Jill, I'm going. It would probably be easier for me if you didn't, but that's up to you. I'm not stopping you if God wants you there. Find out. And this was a month before we had to decide. And I could not say yes. And I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. And um, in the end, it was Christmas, when Christmas was on a Sunday that year. Stuart went to church and he said, Jill, they have to know because of the plane tickets. When I come back, you've got to tell me. And I went up to our room and we, we don't only write books, we edit other people's books. Do you remember the family book of Christian values? Um, Virtues. No, we did the Christians did the virtues, did they? And the others did the values. I can't remember, but Christians put out the family book of Christian virtues, I think it was, after values. And the values was pretty good too, but this was the Christian thing. And they asked us to edit it. And so all over our, stu our studio, we collected uh, stories of, of bravery all through the ages, not just Christians, but amazing acts of. Uh, kindness and all of this, and then there'd be a chapter of, of all of this, and Stuart and I would write the forward. And I went up to the study there, and I got, I got the pile on courage, and I started to read it, and it was no help. It was Elizabeth Elliot. It was, it was 
martyrs, you know, it was this, that, and the other. And I, I, Lord, this isn't helping me. Right at the end was this little verse, courage is fear, that said its prayers. And I said, I can do that. You taught me how to do that in England before I ever came to the United States. I went to church and I said to Stuart, I'm coming. I went scared, I stayed scared, rightly. And God did amazing things. In that 10 days, we stayed there with all these incredible people and their children. And uh, the children would come on their little bikes to take us along the forest. And we knew that all those eyes were watching us, nothing to stop them. And they called us Abraham and Sarah. It's okay, we've got Abraham and Sarah. We're taking, yeah, we'll be there, 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 there. They're 18-year-olds from the school. I met one of them 10 years later. He's heading up New Tribe's mission in a tribe somewhere or other. And he said, thank you for coming. That was the year that changed my life. That's why I'm here. Wow. And he said, you taught us not to let the devil frighten us out of doing as well. Thank you. And I said, well, I was just the visual aid. <laughs> and he said, thank you for coming and being the visual aid. Do it frightened. So, sheltered in his shadow, underneath his wings, learning in the silence, new soul sings, songs to sing, safe within your covering, hope is born anew, sheltered in your shadow, tell me what to do. Sheltered in your shadow, fortress for my heart, enemies surround me, tearing me apart. Put me back together, evil overcome. Sheltered in your shadow, you're the mighty one. Sheltered in your shadow, peace within my soul. Ridiculous. Yes. Peace that passes understanding. Laughing at the devil, knowing I made whole. Storms may rage about me, drowning out my cries. But sheltered in your shadow, here my scared heart lies. Sheltered in your shadow, here I kneel and pray, covered by thy grace and mercy till another day. Arrows fly unhindered past my safe retreat. Here I lay my panic down and worship at your feet. So sheltered in your shadow, calm and home again, teach me in your presence. Grace will heal my pain. Hold me still and steady, then take me in your hand. Fight my battles for me in Emmanuel's land. I wrote underneath it, I'm overwhelmed, Lord. I know, he said, believe. I can't just believe, I said. I mean, it doesn't happen just like that. Doesn't it have to take hours in prayer starting at 5 a.m. like Luther did? Well, that was how I helped his belief. Ask me how to help your belief. Ask him how to help your belief. Be different from my experience. Ask me, he said, to help thou your unbelief. Just ask, just ask. All right, pray with me. So I did, and the shadow shadowed me. And I let the 
overwhelming happened till all the overwhelming had completely disappeared. Overwhelming, the overshadowing. Wrap thou my heart in your serenity, Lord, I whispered. All right. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me. Be it unto me. Be it unto me. According to thy word. In this silence, you talk to God. <laughs> 